conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on the Jim Benson Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Benson Show. Conservative talk radio cover the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. Why has there been so much resistance from Republicans as well as the now communistic Democrats to investigating the mountain of evidence pointing to a large-scale, well-planned, well-orchestrated plot to overthrow the duly elected constitutional government of the United States, removing Donald Trump and installing the communist agent Joe Biden, a man many consider a criminal as president. As those involved in fighting for election integrity have been saying for more for some time now, our elections have been rigged for years, favoring the election of radical leftists and rhinos, you know, Republicans in name only, to office, and the removal of those who would oppose this or otherwise threaten the powerful interests controlling the USA. This plot appears to involve communist China, Iran, and other nations, as well as people at the highest levels of our government, including people at top levels of our national intelligence agencies. It appears to also involve, in supporting roles if not active participants, powerful figures in other parts of our government, big business, big tech, media, and cultural institutions. As election integrity warrior Mike Lindell, CEO of MyPillow.com and founder of the free speech website FrankSpeech.com and others contend, the 2020 election coup involved elements of the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, hacking and switching massive amounts of votes originally cast for Donald Trump to Joe Biden. They and others also allege massive mail-in ballot fraud. Lindell and his team contend they can irrefutably prove this in court, but whether or not this would make any difference with a corrupted judiciary remains to be seen. Another election integrity warrior, multimillionaire businessman and inventor Jovan Hutton Pulitzer has said that fighting to expose and eliminate our rigged elections processes is a monumental task that is being fought and opposed fanatically every day all across the country. Pulitzer, by the way, says he was offered $10 million to walk away from his investigations of election fraud in Arizona. He also reports, and his appearance clearly showed, that he was recently subjected to some kind of biological warfare attack that nearly killed him. But he is recovering. One of the most frustrating aspects of all this has been the fact that today, going on a year and a half since the 2020 election, we still have not gained access to voting machine routers and related devices which would expose foreign hacking and vote manipulation. Meanwhile, efforts have been underway to wipe clean those routers so that no evidence of hacking can be determined. Mike Lindell and his team claim they already have irrefutable, irrefutable proof of this hacking. Recent revelations by investigative journalist and president of the Government Accountability Institute, Peter Schweitzer, author of the new book, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, has exposed the secret, lucrative business deals and other largesse provided by the CCP to many of our present and former Congress members, the Biden family, and prominent Wall Street and business figures such as Elon Musk and Bill Gates. The book also shows how these elites advocate the favorable treatment of communist China. For example, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi 
once a critic of the CCP and now a virtual whore for them, has refused to allow any hearings in the House on the origins of the COVID-19 outbreak. Just days ago, she advised U.S. athletes at the Winter Olympics in Beijing to refrain from any protesting of the CCP's human rights abuses. The book details how in recent years, Pelosi, her husband and son, have gotten lucrative business deals and other investments in China. Schweitzer has confirmed previous allegations made by Trump attorney, former New York City mayor, and prominent former federal prosecutor Rudy Giuliani that the Biden family has received at least $31 million from individuals and entities associated with Chinese government military and intelligence operations. Here's a brief soundbite from the February 2 episode of the program China Insider, hosted by journalist David Zhang, now part of the NTD television programming. It's titled U.S.-China Spy Game. It's a broadcast of FBI Director Christopher Wray cautioning about the influence and infiltration of our country by the CCP. Play sound by one, please. Welcome to China Insider. I'm David Zhang. Happy Wednesday. Countering threats posed by the Chinese government inside the United States. That was the headline of the FBI Director Chris Wray's recent speech. There is just no country that presents a broader threat to our ideas, our innovation, and our economic security than China. Ray began the speech at the Reagan Library, recalling the threat posed by the former Soviets. And then he told the audience that the threat has shifted to the Chinese Communist Party today, calling it brazen. It's rare to hear such a direct statement from one of the U.S. officials. The last one I recall hearing was from Secretary Mike Pompeo at the Nixon Library. But that was a year and a half ago. Ray outlined the complexity of the threat, calling the danger and the damage to the U.S. economy and its vitality and innovation, a.k.a. damage of technology espionage. At the same time, Ray says the CCP undermines U.S. laws and values. Now, those rooted in the U.S. constitutions are in the eyes of the CCP seems to be very much neglected. If I understand what David Zhang is saying here, He's making a subtle reference to the fact that our vaunted FBI seems to have turned a blind eye to the many allegations of election fraud and the many violations of our constitution involved. Zhang and others with broadcasts on YouTube and elsewhere in the mainstream media are not allowed to mention election fraud under threat of being censored and banned. That's most likely due to the fact that the notorious billionaire leftist George Soros and other globalist oligarchs who have long been supporting communism and particularly communist China as the model for a future world government, control our mainstream media and won't tolerate any adverse publicity about the rigged 2020 elections. Soros, who also virtually owns the now decidedly communistic Democratic Party and contributed and raised many millions to get Joe Biden elected. It's been said that the CCP virtually owns Joe Biden, but Biden is even more beholden to Soros. Lately, Soros, referred to as the almighty leader of the globalists by his detractors in Europe, has been singing a different song about the CCP and China dictator Xi Jinping, issuing statements highly critical of Xi and warning about continuing investment by the West in communist China as a dangerous national security risk. This is, to me, likely the administration's Well, likely the reason behind an apparent reversal of the formerly CCP-appeasing Biden administration's stance toward China. 
Soros has made billions contributing to financial crises and devaluations of currencies around the world by enormous short-selling of those currencies, including the British pound, the Thai bot, and the Japanese yen. Soros, who has said he sees himself as a godlike figure and wants to be the conscience of the world, has supported and promoted radical communist organizations. And he sees the USA, the country where he's become a citizen and amassed his huge personal fortune, as the main obstacle to his bizarre yet vague vision of a future world government and what he calls open societies. He's long provided powerful financial support for the concepts of no borders for nations anywhere, eliminating police and prisons, drug legalization, and promotion of the LGBTQ agenda, among other left-wing causes. Here's some audio from a January 29 episode of Rudy Giuliani's Common Sense podcast titled, Is Is Any American City Safe from George Soros' Destroy Destroy America Project? The soundbite begins in the podcast after Giuliani made an appearance in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles County, where he notes violent crime has soared since Soros-backed District Attorney George Gascon has taken office. Giuliani also refers to the idiotic law enforcement policies of the newly elected New York District Attorney and how as New York City Mayor Giuliani worked with others to significantly reduce crime there. Play soundbite two, please. I do think the the change there in uh, Beverly Hills does come about from the change in the rest of the county, but it comes about from something that um, the censorship in America doesn't allow us to discuss. And that is the extraordinary uh, number of riots in 2020 conducted by Democrat organizations in which uh, police officers were killed, people were killed, and thousands were injured, and billions of dollars in damage was done. Maybe the greatest of any group of riots. Now, we're not allowed to discuss those because you have to remember uh, the two groups that carried out those riots were the cop killing Black Lives Matter. And and if you question me about it being a cop-killing organization, look who organized it. They were cop killers. Look who run, runs it, communists who hate America. Look what their goals are to destroy America and replace us with a state-dominated uh, uh, communist economy, taking property uh, uh, from you to um, to do reparations, taking a child away at an early stage, doing away with the nuclear family, destroying God. That's who Black Lives Matter is, not the Hollywood version of Black Lives Matter. The symbol, the, the, the statement is fine or not fine. Black Lives however you look at it. The organization is despicable. It's a cop-killing organization. And so is Antifa. But the most important thing is it's supported by the same person who's the major supporter of the Democrat Party. In fact, it's almost done out of the same office. So why can't I conclude that there's some kind of a affinity between them? That is George Soros, biggest uh, contributor to Black Lives Matter, biggest contributor to Antifa, biggest contributor to the Democratic Party and the Bidenisters, and biggest contributor, it turns out, to district attorneys all over the country who over 2020 let free all the people who did the violent rioting. Whew. Quite a Democratic combination, isn't it? Well, back in California, the Black Lives Matter protest uh, last year convinced Ms. Rahi and many others. Uh, one of their neighbor's homes was firebombed 
with a Molotov cocktail. That was the, according to CNN, I don't know if you remember, that was the, the, the peaceful protests. The, I think a CNN reporter was on talking about a peaceful protest and several buildings in the back were, bur- were burning. Uh, in Beverly Hills area, there's now an 80% increase in the number of requests for gun permits. And then, of course, a, uh, a, a really shocking event occurred in December at the conclusion of last year. And that is the black uh, philanthropist, Jacqueline Avant, was uh, killed in her home with a security guard. There's a private security guard on a duty, and she was killed around 2.30 a.m. on December 1st. There have also been other break-ins. Um, there have also been other break-ins and crimes within the hollowed confines of Beverly Hills and similar kinds of communities you know, that, that, uh, where wealthy, anywhere from very well to do to superbly wealthy, tremendously wealthy people live, uh, which shows that it's permeated beyond just what it's, it's now endemic as part of the city. Well, the ironic thing is that as this, uh, killer was, uh, killing, uh, Ms. Avant, the district attorney in Los Angeles County, whose name is George Gascon, if you haven't heard of him. Well, he distributed, he was distributing a fundraising letter seeking to overturn a law that would uh, have uh, kept her alleged killer from going to prison for that crime. It would, it would eliminate additional prison time for using a gun during a crime. The homicide increase uh, has been extraordinary in Los Angeles from uh, the time Gascon came on. 50% increase in homicide. 50% more people getting murdered under the George Soros paid for, sponsored DA who lets criminals go free. Let's look at New York and the similarities in my, in my hometown. A, a new district attorney uh, comes in in Manhattan named Alvin Bragg, running on a, on a, on a program that seemed uh, stupid, B- basically the same thing as Gascon. The option should always be for non-prison, non-jail. Uh, cash bail uh, is uh, very much uh, uh, despised and hated. Of course, New York had already accomplished that through the uh, stupidity of uh, Andrew Cuomo that led to a tremendous m- number of our crimes. Uh, and he, and, and he won. Now he won really only for one reason, as many of these did. And that's the Soros million dollars that was put in so that he could beat uh, significantly better qualified candidates. I could do this for you in 15 other cities. Some worse, by the way. Just about every single one of them, uh, a Democrat and probably 78% of them a Soros purchase DA. So New York, uh, Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams. I love my city. It's the greatest city in the world. It helps to define America. It's headed in the direction of San Francisco and Los Angeles. It doesn't stop by uh, giving speeches and saying you're tough on crime. You, you have said that, Adams. And they've told you 80, 82% more of them are stealing automobiles. You know, 40% more committing crimes. So they're giving you their answer. 
I, I did it. I reduced crime by um, more than you could possibly imagine and more than anyone ever has. The, 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 the plan for doing it, I've publicly announced, I've written, I've uh, lectured on, and I've taught it to cities all over the world. It's not just my plan alone. It's a, an amalgamation, a combination of many, many people. Uh, James Q. Wilson, George Kelling, um, uh, uh, Bratton, Maple, Safer, Bernie Carrick, whose who's, who's use of it in corrections was nothing short of brilliant. 80% reduction in violence in the prisons. And so many more that, you know, the cast of characters that you wouldn't know about who made it all work. This can be done, but it isn't done by allowing violent people to remain on the street in numbers like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. If you do that, if you continue to do that, you have destroyed San Francisco. You've come pretty close to destroying Seattle and Portland. You're on your way to destroying Los Angeles. And you're getting a head start now in New York. Philadelphia is gone. Philadelphia is gone. St. Louis, close to gone. Please put the good of your citizens, Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams, ahead of your loyalty to Joe Biden, George Soros, and the terribly crooked party that you now belong to, and put the people in New York first. Now let's hear a segment from the Alex Jones radio show, February 1, which carries the title, Why Soros Compared Xi Jinping to Hitler. It begins with the audio from George Soros criticizing communist China on the eve of the Winter Olympics being held in Beijing. I don't always agree with everything Alex Jones says, but I find there is usually a lot of truth in Jones' blunt and, for me, always entertaining commentaries. Please play sound by three. In a few days... China, the most powerful authoritarian state, will be hosting the Winter Olympics. And like Germany in 1936, it will attempt to use the spectacle to score a propaganda victory for its system of strict controls. So George Soros has come out and said that basically the Winter Olympics in Beijing should be boycotted, should be shut down, that Xi Jinping is a dictator, that Xi Jinping has set up an ethnostate like Nazi Germany. But what has Xi Jinping really done? Because the globalists that birthed creatures like Soros are on record putting the communist Chinese in power with the CIA, who in 1949... So the West has backed, and Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, they've all backed communist China and the Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping and, and all the rest of them. And now suddenly, Soros says Xi Jinping's got to go because Xi Jinping said, we're not going to sissify the men. We're not going to promote transgenderism. And he said, we're going to pay people to have three children. We're breaking with your depopulation plan. We're not going to collapse and die as a people. We care about our people. Care about them to the point of having the takeover of Mongolian areas and the ethnic cleansing to make room for the Chinese, which I'm not backing or saying is good. But the point is, is that when they were killing Christians and Buddhists by the millions, George Soros loved it. But now that China isn't taking orders from him and his controllers, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and that criminal Bill Gates combine, well, now he's turning against Xi Jinping. 
Putin is paying people to have children and saying people should be Christian and saying Russians need to be closer to Christ and so do we and we need peace. He's a lot better compared to Xi Jinping. On a scale of one to 10, Xi Jinping's like a seven. George Soros is an 11. And Vladimir Putin's about a two. Joe Biden's about a five. When you come to actual policies, 10 being as bad as it gets, Soros is an 11. Bill Gates is a 12. These people want total destruction of humanity, total destruction of our children. And the nerve of Soros, we played the clip earlier, to come out and say that China is like Nazi Germany when it was George Soros on record that helped round up thousands of Jews. The Nazis called him a bloodhound. He was young, looked non-threatening, and he would go find hidden Jews and go report them. He was the type that would hunt down Anne Frank. And so we get to be lectured by the ADL and him about how good they are and how Americans are bad and how my grandfathers that almost died fighting Hitler, they're Nazis, but George Soros that worked for him, he's good. What a sicko. But he's a failure, folks. He's an evil person. Him and his son, Alexander, and their weird Aleister Crowley rituals they're on video doing. I mean, these are some sickos, folks. And they hate everybody. Whether you're American or whether you're a Russian or Chinese, black, white, he hates you all. He's gotten all these DAs elected and they cut the police and just let crime and murder and rape quadruple, carjackings up fivefold, murders have tripled, everything falling apart. He loves it. He collapsed over 20 plus countries and stole the pension funds of old people. He was a villain on the news when I was a kid. George Soros crashed another currency and stole the pension funds. Now all the old people have no money. He's a freaking demon. Oh, but he's liberal. And the young Turks say he's a wonderful hero. And now he's going to tell us about how bad Xi Jinping is. Because now Xi Jinping doesn't support castrating all our little boys. At least he doesn't want the Chinese ones to have their balls cut off as a sacrament of the left. It's no joke. George Soros has come out and said that Xi Jinping is the new Hitler. He said it again, but this time on video. And that China is like Nazi Germany. Now, that's a very big statement, and, and part of it's true. But why is George Soros telling the truth for once? Well, because it's a competing evil organization to the globalist Anglo-American combine. And again, that just means the old British Empire in the United States and that whole power arm. That is not pro-America or pro-UK. It's globalist. It's been using us and, and our blood and sweat and ingenuity to build its corrupt system while it now quietly poisons and dumbs us down and bankrupts us ahead of murdering us, as you now see with the deadly shots and the 5G and the rest of it. So what does it mean when George Soros comes out and says that China is a horrible high-tech technocracy surveillance police state? and that China poses the biggest threat to world peace, and that China is an evil empire, and that Xi Jinping is bad. Well, when George Herbert Walker Bush is the ambassador to China in the 70s made these deals, and when he was the head of the CIA afterwards, and when all that was done with Zbigniew Brzezinski and with Henry Kissinger, they wrote books bragging about it, they set up a one-sided trade deal and one-sided military technology transfer deals over to... China, so that they would be the new superpower. Now, as we sit here and we witness uh, all of this unfold, we have to ask ourselves, why is it happening now? And it's because, as I told you last year, 
And as we had to Darren Beatty on to talk about it a few weeks ago, Xi Jinping has said, we are not going to have sissy men on TV. We're not going to have homosexuality. We're not going to have transgenderism. Uh, and we are going to basically be like 1950s America, but with high technology, and we're going to go to space, and we're going to build a pro-human future. Now, we're going to have the surveillance grid and the human clones and all of it. We're the wild, wild west, but we are an ethnic, genetic monostate of the most closely related group of people on Earth, the Chinese. And the, and the Koreans are an offshoot of that. But the most closely genetically similar group of people, homogeneous, homogeneous, from the same genesis, and we are going to dominate the world. We double-crossed you. We got all your jobs, got all your science, infiltrated your government, did all this, financed Hollywood to tell men to be girls and to celebrate cutting your children's penises off and cutting your daughter's breast off, and you psychotics have drunk the poison. Good job. You're dead. You're over. We're not doing any of it. And so George Soros, who went from worshiping China five years ago and saying it was the model of everything to now saying it's Hitler, is because anything they don't like, nationalism, cultures they don't control, anything he doesn't own. The Russians are Hitler because they've got their own culture. The Chinese are Hitler because they have their own culture. Anybody that is Christian and just wants to be a free market capitalist, you're Hitler. Not because you'd worked for Hitler when you were a teenager and helped round up Jews like he did. No, 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 no. Not because you said you love Hitler and your dad was an SS officer like Arnold Schwarzenegger who gets ADL awards. When you're a real Nazi, you get ADL awards. When you fight Nazis, you get called Nazis. But China is an ethnic state, an ethnostate. And they are into their superiority and they are taking over the planet. And they see George Soros and his like as their competition. And George Soros is pissed because he wants to be the one capturing the flag, which is your son's genitals cut off in a box. <laughs> you may have seen that Russian President Vladimir Putin visited Beijing a few days ago to attend the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics there and meet with Xi Jinping. During the meeting, Putin stated he completely supports China's position on Taiwan. That is that Taiwan is a province of China and will be taken over by force if necessary. As you know, Taiwan is a leader in chip technology, and that's where everything is going with AI. And they want their hands on that chip, those chips in Taiwan and all the people coming up with all the innovative new products. Xi, in return, stated that cooperation between Beijing and Moscow has no limits. The longstanding alliance between China and Russia and the former Soviet Union – is discussed in a recent video presentation January 26th by anti-communist researcher and commentator Trevor Loudon on his program Counterpunch, now being broadcast on NTD's Epoch TV. Here are segments from that broadcast. Again, I don't necessarily agree with everything Trevor Loudon contends in the broadcast, but he does have a lot of good points and makes a lot of sense. The program is titled, Misunderstanding Communism is Leading to the West's Destruction. Play soundbite four, please. Hi, welcome to another episode of Counter Punch with Trevor Loudon. Please like the show, share the show, and above all, subscribe on Epoch TV. Now today I'm going to talk about some misunderstandings on Marxism and communism and how they're dramatically affecting uh, the future of the world, how, how we may lose the planet because of these misunderstandings. Now you have a situation out there now where Russia and China are both arming Russia is threatening Eastern Europe, China is threatening India, the Far East, Taiwan, and Iran is threatening the Middle East, and we have a red tide sweeping through Latin America. 
Venezuela's communist, Nicaragua's communist, Chile has just elected a far leftist, Peru's gone the same way, so has Honduras. The balance of power in the world is changing and, and the West is in a perilous state. And they got there through a massive misunderstanding or a series of misunderstandings. Some of them deliberately fostered. Now I'd like to clear up the first one, which I think is very important. Now back in the 70s, Kissinger and Nixon sold the America on the idea that China could be wooed away from the Soviet Union. There had allegedly been a split between China, communist China, and, and the Soviet Union, and America could get in there and, and give them trading rights and develop business, and, and China would become democratic and more Western, and it could be wooed out of the communist bloc. And lots and lots of money was put into this, and American foreign policy was worked around this concept because especially after Deng Xiaoping came to power in 1976 and started to open up the economy, you started to see businesses spring forward. All the big commentators thought, well, yes, this is China's going off the communist road. China is seeing the advantages of capitalism. China is moving into our camp, and all we have to do is keep giving them money, build factories on their territory, open up everything we can, the World Trade Organization, etc., and everybody would live happily ever after. And when the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 90s, that philosophy went on steroids. Let's make money with China. Let's bring China into the Western fold. You know, both President Bushes talked incessantly about how they wanted a strong China as a partner in the world. Well, there's a big problem with that. China never went off the communist road. Once it went on, it has never come off. People have a massive misunderstanding about what communism is. Now, you can read this in the Vietnamese literature and the, um, the Chinese literature. Vietnam and China are both adopted free market policies, and according to Westerners, that means they are no longer communist, right? Okay, they've adopted capitalist policies, so they can't be communist. Well, that's because these people don't understand what communism is. Now, Marx, who knew a thing or two about communism, was really the founder of the modern communist movement, not the first communist, but the most influential. Marx posited five stages of human development. The first stage, primitive communism. You're a tribe, you live in a cave, you go out and kill a mammoth, you cut the meat up, you share it amongst yourselves. That's primitive communism, where everybody shares the wealth of the tribe. That gave way to agriculture, and with agriculture, people started to develop plots of land, and they had private land. You know, they were not going to give up their, their, their produce to someone who didn't work. They were going to have private land, and, and it was a, the beginnings of a sort of private ownership of property type of system. But this developed into what they call feudalism. These private landowners needed protection from people who would steal their produce or invade their land. So you had the feudal system where warlords would reign over a certain area. You would pay tribute to the warlord in grain or taxes or sons or daughters, and the warlord would protect your farm, protect your property. That's the feudal system. That's the second stage of human development. 
Then came capitalism. Private property started to be much more pervasive. We had legal systems coming into being, private contracts. We had the birth of the industrial age. People could use the surplus that they had created with their businesses and their factories and their farms and invest, invest money in new businesses, make a return. The, growth, the, the patents, you know, you could patent your inventions. Private property went into a newer level and human wealth exploded. Absolutely exploded after the Industrial Revolution, especially in, the, in, the, in Europe and in the United States. Back in China and Russia, they were still largely living under the feudal system, where warlords or barons would basically protect areas of land and you pay tribute. That was the system in most of the world until the Industrial Revolution ushered in what the communists call capitalism. I don't use that word capitalism. It's a Marxist term. I use the word the free market, the American free enterprise system. That's small business. That's mom and pop. Most people think of capitalism as big corporations ripping you off, as big tech stealing your data. They see it as a negative phenomenon. I'm talking about the Industrial Revolution brought us small businesses, it brought us patents, it brought us legal structures to protect people's earnings. It set people free. It set people on a path to wealth and prosperity. So that's this. That's the third stage of human development. And the communists will tell you this is a great stage. This is necessary because the capitalism will produce the wealth. And then the socialist, because what capitalism will do, they say, is increase the inequalities. The rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Eventually, the contradictions will be so strong that the poor will overthrow the rich and expropriate the wealth. Socialism, the government will take the wealth off the rich landowners and the rich capitalists and redistribute it to the poorer classes. Socialism. So socialism is the fourth stage of human development. But note, you cannot go to socialism until you've been through capitalism because capitalism is essential to produce the wealth. And of course, it's based on a, the communist theory is based on a lie because our real free market system, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about the corporate system we have today where big government works with um, big business. I'm talking small government, individual liberty, small businesses, mom and pop. You rise or fall as far as your abilities take you. None of this corporate handouts or you know corporate welfare, none of that. Just a plain free market operating. That does not increase inequality. It brings everybody up. It means the rich can only stay rich as long as they're still producing. They're actually offering a value to people. It's the most democratic, the most just system that's ever been. But the communists smear it as capitalism. They talk about big business, crony capitalism. They call that capitalism. That is not what we mean and it's not the word that we should use because it's so tainted and so dirty now. So after you have socialism, this comes the mythical fifth stage, communism. The state will wither away. Everybody will be equal. Everybody will have an equal share of wealth from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That's the communist doctrine. That will never happen. 
There's never been a time in history when the state has taken over wealth and the power and production of a nation, then voluntarily given it up. It doesn't happen, it won't happen, it will never happen. That's why there will never be true communism on this planet. There will only be a dictatorial, top-down socialism a la North Korea, planet-wide. That's the best we can hope for in a communist, if, if, the, if the communists dominate this planet. It'll be worldwide North Korea with American technology. Think about that. Yeah, Western commentators thought, wow, look, the Chinese have gone back to capitalism. They tried to implement socialism, they've gone back to capitalism. To some degree, the Russians have done the same thing. Also, Vietnam is another example. Mozambique, oh, they've, they've, they've adopted free market policies. They've given up on communism. We can train them. It's very simple. The Vietnamese, the Chinese admit they made a massive mistake. They ignored Marx. They tried to go straight from feudalism to socialism and missed the capitalist stage. What we've seen in China and what we've seen in Vietnam and Russia and Mozambique and Nicaragua and several other countries around the world is not a retreat from communism. It is a return to classic Marxism. We made a big mistake. We tried to rush too far, too fast. We've got to go back to a capitalist market type of system. We build up our wealth, we build up our military, and then we go back on the socialist road and onwards to communism. That's where the Communist Party of China is right now. That's where the Communist Party of Vietnam is, and that's where Russia's going as well. They've experimented, they've gone back to capitalism, they've built up their wealth, the Russians and Chinese have hugely built up their militaries and now they're ready to go on to socialism and destroy any vestige of capitalism left on the planet. This is completely counter to the narrative that we hear, you know, Western foreign policy on for decades, that China and Vietnam could be wooed out of the communist bloc, that Russia could become a democratic nation. None of that can happen unless the communist parties are removed root and branch from those countries. When America defeated Nazi Germany in World War II, they denazified the country. Anybody who'd been a Nazi could not hold public office. They never decommunized Russia, they never decommunized China, they never decommunized any of these so-called former communist countries, with the possible exception of Poland and to a degree the Ukraine. But mostly, they have still got the same communist elites in power. Russia is still run by the KGB. I believe it's still run secretly by the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And they are ready now that their military and economies are stronger in many ways than the West. They are ready to go back on the march. They are ready for war. Now, there's another aspect to this. And this is also a very contentious area and a big, misun and a big misunderstanding amongst Western policymakers. And I refer to a, a, the writings of a man called Anatoly Golitsyn. Now, Golitsyn was a KGB defector. He defected from the Soviet Union to Finland in 1961, spent some time in Britain, and then left and went to the United States. He told a story 
that very few were willing to believe. He told a story of massive communist deception that was way over the heads of most policymakers and most intelligence officers. A few British intelligence officers championed him, and, and good for them, and James Angleton, the, the head of counterintelligence in the CIA, also became a big champion of this man. This started a war inside the CIA. The, the traditional faction who believed that the Soviet Union could be... Um, was nowhere near as powerful as we thought and wasn't really interested into big strategic disinformation and the Galitzinite faction who believed that most of Western policy was based on false assumptions about the Soviet Union and the communist bloc and that the, the infiltration of Western countries was way, way bigger than we had thought, that it was in most political parties, they had penetrated most intelligence agencies, they were in the position to, to manipulate the West from Moscow. This is the message of Galitzin. He wrote this all up in 1984 in a book called New Lies for Old. By that time, the CIA was done with them. Uh, Angleton had been fired. The um, unimaginative faction, I'll put it kindly, of the CIA was back in control, and Galitzin was sidelined. They, they ignored what he had to say. In 1957, under Shalepin, the head of the KGB, the communist movement did a major reorganisation and a major reassessment of its mission. They were not doing well. They were having trouble in their subservient states in Eastern Europe. Their economies were a wreck. They couldn't build up their military. China was draining their money. They just were not competing with the West. They, they knew their communist experiment would die if they didn't change strategies. They were not going to defeat the West unless they did something differently. So this is what Galitzin said, and he was part of this process. An inner KGB set up at this time in 1957 to 1960, and they came up with a long-range strategy that was implemented at the top reaches of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. They drew to some degree on the split between Tito, the communist uh, leader of Yugoslavia, and Stalin. They had a genuine falling out. Tito split from the Soviet bloc and American money, American aid poured into the country trying to woo Tito and Yugoslavia out of the Soviet bloc. Well, they eventually reconciled, they became friends again, and that money was very useful to Tito and his comrades. But the Soviets learned a lesson. Well, if we could get a lot of money by feigning weakness and pretending we are split, imagine if we had major splits. Imagine if we had major retreats from communism. Imagine what, how we could fool the West with all of our agents in the Western system. We could feed them disinformation. We could check that our disinformation is working. Let's try it. So what they did was this. The first thing was a split between China and Russia in 1961. They threw a few, um, you know, had a few exchanges. They fired a few artillery shells at each other. A few troops got shot. You know, this was a big deal on the world stage. Russia and China are splitting. The Chinese, Chinese communism is splitting with Soviet communism. We must exploit that. And they did start to exploit it in the 70s through Kissinger and Nixon. Then they started to have other splits. Romania became very, very troublesome in the Soviet bloc under Ceausescu. Uh, Poland had some difficulties with the Soviets. They had the, the Prague Spring in 1968 in Czechoslovakia when Soviet tanks had to roll in and suppress the insurrection there, the uprising against communism. So the Soviet bloc looked weak. 
And Western policymakers thought, well, we can use this. We can play one off against the other. We'll start sending money to Romania. We'll help Ceausescu. We'll help Tito. We'll help these rebel communist organizations. So they put a lot of money in there. But what Galitzin said was the biggest split, the biggest fake will come in the 80s. And part of it was to do with the new economic policy of the 1920s. When Lenin took over the Soviet Union, the the economy collapsed. So for a while he had to turn back the free market, the new economic policy, to feed the people so they didn't starve. And that had two purposes. It kept the people from rebelling and it fooled the West into thinking the Soviets were giving up communism. They're opening markets. They're opening trade. They're allowing private stores. They must be giving up on communism. When that had achieved its purpose, Stalin came in and shut it all down. And so the new economic policy was a model. What was planned in the 1980s was going to be a new leader, a new Soviet leader. There would be a mass opening to the West. There would be talk of... They would give up the word communism. They would possibly let some of the, the Baltic, some of the Baltic states and Eastern European states go. There would be a retreat, a massive retreat of the Soviet Empire, a collapse of communism. And this would be designed to get lots of Western money and critically to get the West to disarm. Clinton did this. The so-called peace dividend. President Clinton started gutting the U.S. military in the early 90s, and it has been downward ever since, uh, with a few exceptions under President Trump, etc. But this was the plan. This was the plan all along. We're going to de-emphasize communism. We're going to let the Baltic states go. We're going to let East Eastern Europe go. They're a burden anyway. American money will pour in. Western money will pour in. We will still keep some degree of control because we have got so many people in their military, so many agents in their government, so many agents in their intelligence services. We will still have some control over these states. So what Galitzin said was this. This was the policy. This was the plan. This is the, ma- the biggest disinformation exercise ever done by communism. And remember Lenin. It was all about one step forwards, two steps backwards. One step forward, two steps backwards. You go as far as you can. When you meet resistance, you retreat. Your enemy gives up and you come back for more later. This is where we are now. You still have American commentators who will seriously tell you that Russia and China can be played against each other. Russia and China held the world's greatest military exercise together outside St. Petersburg, Russia in 2018, the biggest military exercise in world history. They are allied in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. That is a military, political, economic pact that was established in 2001 to unite Russia, to unite China, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, um, Iran is an observer, India was an observer for a while. This is the new Warsaw Pact. But you have serious Western commentators trying to tell you that Russia and China are not working together. Absolutely, they are working together. And as Galitzin said, When the West had disarmed and the West had invested huge amounts of money in China and Vietnam and Russia, when the West was pretty much exhausted of its cash, Russia and China would join together and with one closed fist, 
destroy the United States once and for all. Lastly, here's some audio from Brandon House on frankspeech.com, January 21, interviewing Wisconsin State Legislator Tim Ramthun, who has, this, who has been urging his fellow legislators to recall the state's electors after contending he has discovered 16 laws that were broken in Wisconsin's 2020 elections, and therefore the state's electors casting their votes for Biden was illegal. He's been opposed in this by Republican Wisconsin House Speaker Robin Voss. Ramplin's resolution to recall the state's electoral votes was more recently voted down in a state legislative committee. Play sound about five, please. So, but why is the why is the cybersecurity infrastructure security agency going around with these or, national organizations, including the National Conference of State Legislatures, of which Republican Speaker Voss was the was the head of at the time? Why are they? Why is the Department of Homeland Security going around pressuring states to have things like drop boxes? Why is that even in their area of responsibility or interest? It seems to me they're putting their nose where they have no business. Well, I think there was quite a few organizations involved in that. And, and frankly, I, I think they needed the numbers and, and they used multiple organizations to um, infect change under the guise of COVID to um, allow for nefarious activities to, to affect the outcome of the election. And so, so, they, so this is a national, uh, this is part of Homeland Security, okay? Homeland Security, which is part of our intelligence arena, is putting a lot of pressure on the states, apparently, to be involved in putting out drop boxes and other things. So here, he, he, does he need to ask you something? No, it's, it's okay. Me? So, yeah, I don't know if that guy in the room would need to ask you something. Oh, he's good. Okay, so let me let me ask you if, your opinion on this. Do you uh, let, let me let me catch it this way? We have Robert Kennedy Jr. putting out his book on the real Anthony Fauci. He's talking openly in that book about the influence of the intelligence community when it comes to what happened with COVID. We have the CIA, according to many people, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an attorney. The CIA involved in the October 2019 uh, event 201 preparing for the pandemic, which they knew had broken out in September, the month before. And they're preparing for this with a simulation in October of 2019. And the CIA is there running this simulation with them. And, every, and then it's come out this week that we have some guy tied back, I think, to Echo Health, tied back to DARPA, who's tied back to the intelligence arena. And then I've got an attorney, Matt uh, DiPerno, telling me, my friend Matt DiPerno telling me, who you've already referenced, uh, on the air, uh, Brandon, sometimes I don't feel like I'm fighting uh, these voting machine companies. I feel like I'm fighting the CIA. And then when I see the Cyber Security Infrastructure Security Agency getting involved in pushing for drop boxes and working on this at multiple levels, I guess my question is, it seems like a nice little community here where you got the intelligence community and the CIA involved in running scenarios for a pandemic, which now are laying the foundation for ballots and drop boxes, which makes me wonder who's printing all of these ballots. Are these are these printing companies? Are they front companies for the CIA? Are they doing the bidding for the CIA? 
Um, we've got two million ballots that were reported printed and sitting on a dock that a state senator, uh, 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 Paul, who was here the two nights ago, found and then called the Attorney General of Texas. And the Attorney General of Texas on Monday night talked to us about how he put a stop to that. And it was the state senator who we had on two nights ago who was the one that alerted him to that. Well, who's printing these ballots? Where's all this coming from? Why is the CIA so involved in the pandemic and simulation? Why is the Department of Homeland Security involved in this at the state level like they are? I guess the question I'm asking is there seems to be a theme here between ballots, drop boxes, and pandemic to use all of this to carry out a coup. And, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is saying, well, you know, the CAA, they're kind of known for doing that in other countries, carrying out coups. And I'm sure Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the Kennedy whole Kennedy family has quite a bit to think about, about that in relation to President Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy's father. So the question I have, again, maybe just asking your opinion, but are you fighting... Are you fighting the intelligence communities in this investigation? Is this who's really behind a lot of this? I think the scope of this problem definitely runs deep, and it's beyond the state of Wisconsin. And um, I'm going to agree with your statement. And I would also tell you that this is why I moved on the reclaiming of the electoral ballots, because it's going to take additional investigations and audits to make sure we can pinpoint these issues and these these other illegalities and pursue people uh, and the accountability factor. So to wait for all that to happen, uh, it's going to take longer than 2022. And so we can't wait. So we had to uh, uh, move like we did with the, with reclaiming the electoral ballots to get that uh, stake in the ground to say, we know we have enough fraud. We're going to reclaim our ballots, but we're going to continue investigations and audits. As you can see, just as there's a lot of evidence that 2020 elections were stolen through massive fraud, there's also significant evidence U.S. intelligence operatives were involved in promoting things like ballot drop boxes, which encourage vote fraud, and related actions. According to the 2020 documentary The Plot Against the President, our intelligence agencies have grown so powerful that they operate largely independently of serious congressional or other oversight. Their leaders are portrayed in the documentary as being terrified of Trump administration national security advisor, retired General Michael Flynn, himself a veteran of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, who had called for review of the intelligence, the intelligence community's activities and budgets. And we know what happened to General Flynn. So disturbingly, there remains highly motivated and widespread opposition to any and all attempts at getting at the bottom of what really happened in the 2020 elections as well as to establish true election integrity across the country. What difference does it make for those opposing election integrity and exposing election fraud and vote fraud if rigged elections ensure their continual re-election? And even though there are a lot of those of there are a lot more of us who want this to happen than there are of those forces arrayed against us, these are enormously powerful and well organized. We certainly have our work cut out for us. Even so I know of no one out there fighting for what's right who plans on giving up. Well, that's it for another show. As always, we hope you found his content of interest and value. You can listen to a podcast of today's show when it's posted shortly on the Jim Benson Show page at bbsradio.com. Look for us again in this same time slot two weeks from today. Have a great rest of your day and evening.